Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. How was your weekend? You're back at it. It's rinse and repeat time. Or, you know, I remember back in the day, there was a Dunkin' Donuts campaign where they had the same guy. I think he played the, the Dunkin' Donuts operator for like 20 or 30 years. And every day you wake up like 4 o'clock in the morning. It's time to make the donuts. That was his catchphrase. 3 a.m., the alarm went off this morning, and I said, it's time to make the donuts. Praise be to God. We have a great show lined up for you, though. Nice weekend. Very relaxing. Got to spend time with the family. I always love to do that. My son, my youngest son, turned seven, or no, forgive me, turned five. Whew. I'm, I'm speeding things up. Turned five. Had a firefighter-themed birthday, so praise be to God for that, but uh, a lot of fun hanging out with the family. So hopefully your weekend went really well. Uh, of course, the team is here. Good morning to you, Emily Alcaraz. Good morning. I remember that commercial, the it's time, time to, to make, make the, the donuts. donuts. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when he retired, like the actor, like he held a press conference. It was <laughs> really? like a big deal. It was a little insane. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Praise be to God. So he no longer had to wake up at, uh, I don't know. He, I don't know what time he actually woke up as an actor, but his character was 4 a.m. to make the donuts. <laughs> Uh, speaking of donuts, uh, Adrian Fonseca is here to produce. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. Speaking of donuts, yes. Uh, actually, Emily got me donuts on last Friday. So that For was your birthday. Really nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was a lot of fun this weekend. A lot of, lot of fun. Uh, oh, before I forget, I promised to pray for my uh, friend Miguel. He uh, got injured uh, playing soccer, hit his head, oh, no. and was rushed to the ER. He's uh, okay now, but uh, definitely keep him in your prayers. Wow, absolutely. We'll be praying for Gabriel. Um, Miguel. Miguel, thank you. Miguel, we're praying for you. We're praying for your, your recovery. Praise be to God that you're okay. Uh, anything special for your birthday, Adrian? Did you do anything over the weekend? Yes, my uh, parents threw a uh, crawfish boil party for me. So, you know, it was a Friday during Lent, so we uh, couldn't have meat. And so we had a crawfish boil for my birthday. It was really nice. nice. We had my family and of friends over, and uh, it was really nice. Awesome. Praise God. Now, on Friday, we got to give somebody a Mercedes. Emily, was that your first time giving somebody a Mercedes, a brand new car? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty <laughs> sure, as far as you can remember. Now, you know, the cool thing is uh, we received a beautiful email from the winner of the Mercedes with a very touching and very cool story that I want to share with you, and I will do that in the What's Concerning Us section today. So I, I'm excited about sharing that story with you. Uh, from the winner of the brand new Mercedes, courtesy of the Guadalupe Radio Network. But uh, good morning to you, Station of the Cross as well. Uh, we're, we're always uh, very honored to be on the air across the Station of the Cross in this first hour. We're going to have breaking news and stories. We're going to have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. The What's Concerning Us section is coming up. But in our guest segment this hour, Melissa Maleski is going to be our guest. She wrote a book called The Supreme Vocation of Women according to St. John Paul II. So we're going to dive into what is the vocation of women? What is the nature of their role on this earth and in our relationships? And Melissa Molesky will be our guest to discuss that. So all that coming up in this hour. In the next hour, we have our Fear and Trembling Game Show. We have new prizes this week, Emily. Who's our sponsor? This week, our sponsor is Thy Olive Tree, and they make memory and keepsake books for uh, Catholic babies. 
praise be to God for that. So if you're able to join us in the next hour, you might have an opportunity to win some cool prizes this week. So stick around for that. I want to thank especially uh, Real Estate for Life, realestateforlife.org for generously underwriting a portion of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Realestateforlife.org uh, is the website. God bless you for that. All right, we're going to jump into the show with prayer. So dear listener, we're going to take your intentions and combine them with our own and ask our lady to intercede for all of us and by whispering these intentions into the ear of her divine son our lord and savior jesus christ in the name of the father the son and the holy ghost amen remember O most gracious virgin mary that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection implored thy help or sought thine intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence i fly unto thee o virgin of virgins my mother to thee do i come before thee i stand sinful and sorrowful O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. The U.S. Senate voted 50 to 49 on Friday to pass the $1.9 trillion coronavirus stimulus bill that allows taxpayer funding of abortion contrary to the decades-old Hyde Amendment that is applied to every other COVID-19 relief package. Senator Ron Johnson made the 628-page bill to be read aloud in the Senate chambers on Thursday, which took 11 hours. The bill makes funding for abortion groups available through $8.6 billion for the global response to the pandemic. The global response to the pandemic, led by the United Nations Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, designates reproductive health, including abortion, as essential for the COVID-19 response. The bill now goes back to the U.S. House for a final vote. The Wisconsin State Senate has passed two bills against mandated vaccines. The two bills prohibit state and local health officers or employers from requiring an individual to receive a vaccine against the coronavirus or showing evidence of having received such a vaccine. The bill's co-sponsor, Senator Andre Jacques, said, quote, Apprehension by the general public in receiving COVID vaccines is understandable given that their development and approval was expedited at breakneck speed and not as robustly examined and tested for long-term effects. He further noted that, according to a December ABC News poll, 61% of Americans believe their state should not require that people get vaccinated to return to work or school. And Pope Francis is preparing to make a series of new appointments to the Roman Curia, There are five congregations whose prefects have already reached and surpassed the retirement age of 75. Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, the Congregation for the Clergy, the Congregation for the Bishops, the Congregation for the Eastern Churches, and and the Congregation for Catholic Education. Sources have told the Catholic News Agency that Pope Francis may choose two U.S.-born prelates as prefects of congregations in the Roman Curia. The two are Blaise Cardinal Supich and Archbishop, the Archbishop of Chicago and Bishop Robert Prevost, both of whom the Holy Father has met with recently. If Pope Francis appoints both Cardinal Supich and Bishop Prevost at the heads of congregations, the U.S. presence in the Roman Curia will increase significantly. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. St. Felix of Burgundy, pray for us. St. Felix was born in the late 6th century in Burgundy, France. He was a monk, he was a priest, but he had the uh, fortune of meeting uh, King Siegbert. He was on exile from East Anglia in the England, uh, up in England. 
But he was in uh, exile there in uh, this uh, region of France that St. Felix was from, and he not only met him, but he had the privilege of helping him to convert to the Christian faith. He, in fact, baptized the king. The king then, in return, invited uh, St. Felix to come to his country to bring Christianity to his people. Well, uh, St. Felix was able to be ordained a bishop by St. Honoratus of Canterbury, and then he sailed up the river Kent, and apparently, starting his own work in the area there, he now uh, led many to the faith. In fact, the area is known as Felixstowe. He evangelized throughout all of East Anglia, building cathedrals and a school at Dunwich, a stone church throughout the region, and even a college which would one day become the University of Cambridge. It was an incredible opportunity to bring Christian uh, faith to so many people. He would die on the 8th of March, 647. St. Felix of Burgundy, pray for us. The gospel comes to us today from Luke chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Jesus said to the people in the synagogue at Nazareth, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three and a half years and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath, in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of a hill on which their town had been built to hurl him down headlong. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I just, you know, the thought just occurred to me, you might remember, on Friday, we read the gospel of the uh, the wine press, and the hedge built around it, and the master lending it to tenants, and he would send his servants to collect the harvest, and they would beat them, and then he sent his own son, and then he, they would put him outside of the hedge, outside of the, of the, of the, uh, the wine press, and they would kill him, in fact, to steal his inheritance. Why well, just notice that they moved him outside of town to the brow of the hill, and they intended to move him or throw him headlong. It's pretty fascinating to me that uh, I just read that. It reminded me of Friday's gospel. But here, uh, Jesus in the synagogue is reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. In Isaiah uh, 61, the first verse says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good tidings to the afflicted. He has sent me to bring up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This passage that Jesus is reading in the synagogue to these men is about the Messiah, and he is making it his own. And Jesus becomes the embodiment of this uh, passage. He is salvation itself. He is the good news uh, incarnate. Now, what's the kicker here? In today's passage, there's two examples from the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. In the famine, it was uh, a Gentile that Elijah helps to feed. In the, uh, with Elisha, it was a Gentile that is a leper that's cleaned of their leprosy. 
So Jesus is trying to communicate very clearly two important facts here. One, he is the Messiah, and he is the embodiment of salvation. And two, the Gentiles are as much a part of God's plan as, as the Israelites. And this angers them. And this is why they want to kill him and throw him over the, uh, the ledge. And some scholars say that it starts with a stoning first, and then there's a tossing over the ledge. Notice that the, this mission of the church Israel was supposed to be set apart, set apart from its pagan neighbors and their pagan practices of their sins. That's step one. Step two is assisting in the mission of converting those people back to the family of God. We meet people where they're at, but we do not leave them there. We bring them to conversion. And this is the mission of the church, and it includes all peoples. It includes the Gentiles and the pagans, too. And uh, this is a powerful realization today. Adrian, what do you have? Yes, I think uh, one thing that came to mind, I was initially going to read from the commentaries, but something came to mind while you were talking, and that was, uh, I was listening to Father Ripperger uh, give some talks on exorcisms going on in America today. And he noted how in the world today, it is more difficult in the new world in America uh, that to do exorcisms than it is in pagan nations. If he goes to countries where the, the gospel has never been preached. And he said the reason for this is that in America, we have, we were once a Christian nation. We were once a Christian people who believed in God, believed in Jesus Christ and loved him and fasted and prayed. And now we have apostatized from the faith. We had left the faith. We rejected Christ. It's not that we uh, did not know Christ. It's that we knew him and rejected him. But in other countries where they never knew him, it is easier to perform miracles. It is easier to perform exorcisms. But in the country where Christ was had a home, mm. it is now more difficult to have miracles and to have exorcisms. Uh, and what once took a day now takes months. And um, and so we you see the same thing happen here in Scripture. Our Lord goes home. And whenever he goes home, he cannot perform miracles, not because he doesn't have the power to do so, but because of the incredulity of the people, the lack of belief of the people of God. Uh, so I think that's an important thing to meditate on. Yeah, I, I, I think I can remember uh, vaguely, I can't remember the exact p- passage, but when our Lord was speaking about a possessed person being freed from their possession, but falling back into sin, that the next possession would be far worse than the first. And I think that can apply to us in some ways. A Christian people who have gone astray and gone back to pagan roots, this ain't a good thing. We should avoid this like the plague and help those that are suffering in this regard. And it does tie into our conversation today. Why did women flock to the church in the early centuries? There's a reason why Christianity offers so much to the dignity of women. We'll have that conversation. We'll kind of drive that coming up next. Are Christians guilty of hate speech for voicing their belief that homosexual acts are immoral and contrary to human nature? Many in the culture think so. So what can we say in response? First, it's not hate speech to say a particular behavior is inappropriate human behavior given our nature as human beings. If that were true, well then any negative moral evaluation of behavior would be hate speech. But that's absurd. Second, the assertion is inconsistent with itself. Why can't Christians have a negative moral evaluation of homosexual behavior, but yet the objector can negatively judge a Christian's behavior for opposing homosexuality? Isn't he guilty of the very thing he accuses Christians of? My friends, it's not hate speech to say a particular behavior is not befitting of human beings. We must 
judge actions, but always with respect for the person. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Hi, Joe McLean here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Uh, before we jump into the What's Concerning Us section today, uh, don't forget, coming up in our guest segment, about uh, 17, 18 minutes from now, Melissa Molesky is going to be our guest. She wrote a book called The Supreme Vocation of Women, According to St. John Paul II. We're going to have a conversation about the vocation of women, the dignity, the nature of women, and the role of women um, on planet Earth, in our lives, and our relationships, especially through the eyes of the Catholic faith. So we're going to have that conversation with, with Melissa Molesky coming up, uh, plus m- so many stories to discuss in the What's Concerning Us section. But before I do that, on Friday we had the distinct privilege to announce and give away a brand new Mercedes here um, on the show in the second hour. And the winner was uh, Jean Knotts out of Universal City, Texas. And it, she wrote back this incredible story that I want to share with you that I think is very powerful. She says, thank you so much for this special gift. I want to share with you the events leading up to the drawing. My brother, who was 57, was hospitalized in October with heart, kidney, and liver failure. I started the 46th day novena on, the, on October the 28th to Our Lady of Guadalupe to end on December the 12th, her feast day. 46 days for the 46 stars on her mantle. By the grace of God, he recovered enough to come home with me, and I cared for him, taking him to dialysis three times per week. He passed on the feast day on December the 12th. I know those 46 days that we had together was a special gift of Our Lady. I have been grieving him and praying for him very much. When the, when the GRN called today with the gift, the car, the Mercedes that we, uh, that we pulled her name out of the hat with, she says, this felt, this gift, I felt like it was a gift of, from Our Lady. And it was reassuring me that he is okay and she has him in her arms. I can't believe what a loving and caring mother we have. God bless you all, and God bless the GRN. Praise be to God. What a cool story. So she starts the novena, a 46-day novena for the 46 stars on Our Lady's mantle, and ends it on the, on the very day that her brother passes. How cool is that, Emily? That's incredible. Wow. That just is a testament to the fact that God is still living and working in our lives, and I'm so glad that that worked out for her. 
Yeah. Sounds like she really needed it. How cool is that? Praise be to God. Uh, I want to mention real quick before jumping into a few stories here in the What's Concerning Us section, I want to thank Patty, our our super top fan, uh, who always hangs out with us every morning. She's sharing the live video feed on the Facebook side. Thank you, Patty, for sharing our feed every morning. We're very grateful to you. Sean is uh, going to be joining the Guadalupe Radio Network in the South and Central Texas area today. Welcome to the team, Sean. Thank you for being a part of the mission. Uh, of course, uh, if you're hanging out with us anywhere, like Lori is, also on Facebook. Good morning to you, Lori. Jesus, we see you there. God love you. God bless you. Monica, you're going back to work today? Well, we're praying for you for sure. So thank you, everyone who hangs out with us, whether listening over the radio and the station of the cross or listening on the GRN or listening or watching one of our live video feeds. We're very grateful you're a part of the Catholic Drive Time family. Do us a favor, and if you're online, make sure you share and like those uh, those feeds. It really helps us out. But there are several stories in the headlines that I was very concerned about. Um, one I'll just mention real quick in passing is that Antifa apparently attacked the Portland Public School headquarters over the weekend, late, late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, torching vehicles in a series of malicious terrorist attacks up there. So uh, Antifa is really up to no good up there again. So we need to keep those people in our prayers for sure. Um, also, uh, there's, there's, there's another story here that as we see states rolling back their, their COVID pandemic responses, Texas, Mississippi, Connecticut, even California, even New York. I mean, there are many states now that are starting to roll back, and some more than others, that's for sure. But there is an article on WND. That's, the headline says, Government data shows masks had no impact on COVID spread. And they're pulling data from two sources, yougov.com and COVID Tracking Project. Now, the COVID Tracking Project, and we'll link to this, this is a legit site that um, CNN pulls from, Vox, uh, NPR, Politico, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, New York Times, all use this website for data. And um, according to their chart, there was no real uh, difference when mask usage was up to 80%. It didn't really affect infections. That was the point. Not that it's not... a prudential to use a mask. That's not even the conversation. The conversation in this article is about whether or not all of the severe um, situations we were seeing, about, like there was an article over the weekend, of, there was a brawl that broke out in some place, people fighting over someone not having a mask in a store. Like this is the kind of crazy that we're discussing or the, the hyperbolic um, gaslighting that goes on in the mainstream media when states like Texas decide they're going to end their mask mandates Mississippi and others, you see this gaslighting, this sort of uh, fear-mongering that goes on in the mainstream media. Um, this article from WND, which we'll link to, says there's no correlation here, that the widespread use of masks didn't really stop the spread of COVID. That doesn't mean that's not prudential to use masks in certain situations. I mean, surgeons use them, right? Uh, that, that, but this whole sort of hyperbolic reaction to it is out of place and out of touch according to the data itself. And um, so we'll link to this article. I think it's very important to, for us to remember that as things roll back, to not have a fear of, of the unknown, a fear of what's going to happen to me or, or what have you. My wife and I uh, are going through trustful surrender to divine providence for the season of Lent, which St. Columbert helped to co-write. It is a very challenging book to accept God's will 
and not live in fear or anxiety. And this article reminded me of that. In fact, I was think, saying to my wife over the weekend, boy, I, I sat and we sat uh, on Saturday and we read through it. And then I was thinking and pondering what we had read about accepting everything that, as though it comes from God's hand, whether it's good or bad, accepting God's will for your life and his trusting in his uh, prudential uh, judgment for your life, even if bad things happen. And I thought, can I accept God's will? Can I go a half hour and accept God's will? Just a half hour. I mean, I got to tell you, if I, like I, you, I went through an entire roll of duct tape over the weekend because I couldn't get the darn tape to behave and cooperate with, with what I'm trying to accomplish. It kept getting caught up in itself, and I ha- kept having to tear off more pieces. And every time I would try, it would, just, it would just go into chaos. And I ended up throwing the entire roll away out of frustration. Like, could, I could, even, could I even go a half hour? Could you go a half hour with accepting God's will no matter what? Never complaining. Not once complaining, no matter what happens to you, just saying God's will be done and accepting it all. I'm not sure. I think a half hour would be very, would be very challenging. Emily, do you think you could go a half hour? Um, no, that's definitely a difficult thing to do. Um, we should start a God's will be done challenge. See who can go a half hour of total acceptance without fail of God's will, no matter what happens. People cut you off in traffic, you never get to complain. You just get to say God's will be done. I wonder if it can be done. Adrian, do you think you can go a half hour? It depends. Does it count when I'm sleeping? Does, no. Does that, does that count towards that? Negative. Well, then, then maybe. Then just maybe. <laughs> Christopher in the chat box says, I'm still working on the complaining part. Yeah, the not complaining part. Good luck, Christopher. Good luck, my friend. What's on your radar, Emily? I've been following very closely the Pope's trip to Iraq this weekend. And let me tell you, Joe, I think this might be, in my opinion, the most incredible thing, the greatest thing that Pope Francis has ever done. This was an incredible trip. It was just an absolute victory, a win for Catholicism and for the Holy Father. It was wonderful. And just the videos and the photos and the testimonies that are coming out of this trip have been incredible. Um, There's this image here that I saw on Twitter just this morning that of the Holy Father standing in Mosul. Now, in, in Mosul, Mosul, I'm not sure how Mosul. it's pronounced, Mosul. Um, this is where ISIS threatened the Pope several years ago and said that they were going to behead the Pope in Rome. He goes to Mosul, the Holy Father, and there he preaches on peace and love. Um, and it's just an incredible thing that the Holy Father has done. And he spoke to the uh, top Shiite cleric, and they just really, the, the respect and the reverence that they had for each other, um, was really incredible. So that was on my radar, just not concerning me, but really just edifying me, I would say. Yeah, for sure. It's a powerful opportunity um, for the Pope to go into a place that's never seen the Pope before and have a massive and dramatic impact. We're certainly praying for for the Christians there. They've been diminishing uh, be, due to the uh, situation with ISIS and, and the uh, jihadis there that have really persecuted the Christians. So this could be an incredible moment, a new, a new life uh, and a new era for Christianity in the Middle East. Praise be to God. Did you see the story out of uh, Canada? The, the Quebec Cardinal slams authorities for reopening cinemas, but not churches. Have you, so I think the bishops in Canada are starting to really get impatient with the government there. They have tried their best to be patient with them, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out too well. And now it's time for them to speak out because they're reopening uh, movie theaters, and they're allowed to have up to 250 people in a the theater, 
but they're only allowed 10 people in a church. I mean, I, I don't think it matters the size of the church either. Um, 10 people versus 250, that's a massive difference. Plus, stores are still open, of course. You can go to the hardware store. We've mentioned that example many, many times on the show. But so there's this article out of LifeSite News where the, uh, there's a two... There are two bishops in Canada in particular that are really speaking out. The one from Mont Montreal, uh, Archbishop Lapine, says he stressed in his message the virtual services streamed from churches were not sufficiently nourishing for people's faith lives. In other words, it's great and all that we're broadcasting the Mass live over the Internet or television, but that does not replace our need to be physically present there at Holy Mass, assisting at Holy Mass, and receiving our Lord Jesus in the sacrament. It does not replace this. And we're seeing concerning reports all over the country, uh, in America, let alone in Canada, that with reopenings, not a lot of people have gone back to Mass. Some people are staying home now, thinking, why, why, can't, why do I have to get up on Sunday and I can just stream it? So that's a very concerning situation there in Canada. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Canada, for sure. Did you see also, Emily, the story out of the blaze? It says New York Democrat wants sex ed for kindergartners. Oh, no, that's horrifying. It's disturbing. It says older students could be taught about hormone blockers and pansexuals. This is a, a New York Democrat. It says a Democrat um, New York lawmaker introduced a bill to teach comprehensive sex ed to kindergartners. The sex education will reportedly be outsourced to a left-wing organization that believes, quote, sex ed is a vehicle for social change, unquote, including incorporating social and racial justice messaging into their sex ed lessons. New York uh, Senator Samra Broke, B-R-O-U-K, a freshman Democrat from Rochester, introduced a bill to teach comprehensive sexuality education in schools, including to children as young as five years old. We'll link to the story. This is disturbing, and we need to speak out against this and stop this. This is manipulative and insane, and it will do much harm to our society. Let's pray. For God's will be done. Can we go a 30-minute challenge? Can you go 30 minutes on the God's will be done challenge? I wonder. I'm not even sure I can, but I'd love to hear from your thoughts. We'll be right back more Catholic Drive Time. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. How many times have you heard someone talk about how important it is to be progressive? Have you ever asked them what they mean by that? G.K. Chesterton says, Progress is a useless word, for progress takes for granted an already defined direction, and it's exactly about the direction that we disagree. We can't have progress until we've stated what our goal is, and then we can determine whether or not we're moving closer to it or farther from it. The real question is not whether we are progressive, but what is our goal? My goal is to get to heaven and to help others get there too. What's yours? Want Chesterton for more than a minute? Visit our website at Chesterton.com. 
Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects homebuyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Monday, March 8th, and these are your headlines for today. Two weeks after the Bishop of Portland in Maine called state restrictions on religious gatherings unacceptable, Maine's governor is allowing churches to host at 50% capacity beginning on March 26th. Governor Janet Mills announced on Friday that Maine churches will soon be able to host indoor religious gatherings at 50% capacity, a significant change from the state's February 12th restrictions of five people per thousand feet of church space, or 50 people total. The announcement of the capacity increase comes one day after nearby Connecticut lifted all capacity restrictions on retail establishments and houses of worship, requiring only social distancing and masking. Churches in Maine have been under some of the strictest regulations in the country since the start of the coronavirus pandemic. The alternative social media platform Parler is suing Amazon for a second time, claiming targeted discrimination. In January, Parler sued Amazon after it was removed from being hosted on Amazon Web Services following the January 6th U.S. Capitol disturbances, forcing the alternative social media platform offline. Parler then dropped the original lawsuit over its suspension on Tuesday before filing a new one in a Washington state court the same day, accusing Amazon of numerous contractual violations as well as anti-competitive behavior. The lawsuit claims that in withdrawing its services, Amazon attempted to destroy an up-and-coming technology company through deceptive, defamatory, anti-competitive, and bad-faith conduct. Parler was down for a month before being able to negotiate a hosting contract with a private Los Angeles-based firm, SkySilk, which said it is providing cloud infrastructure to the company. And Pope Francis on Friday underlined his support for the prior of a troubled ecumenical community amid a dispute with its founder. A statement issued by the Holy See Press Office on March 5th noted that the Pope met with Brother Luciano Manicardi, prior of the Bose monastic community on the eve of his trip to Iraq. The statement comes amid a standoff between the community and its founder, the prominent Italian layman Enzo Bianchi. The Holy See had given Bianchi until February 17th to leave the monastery after issuing a decree signed by the Vatican Secretary of State Cardinal Pietro Perolin in 2020. But after several of the interested parties rejected the measures, it said it was opportune to specify that the above-mentioned provisions regard Brother Enzo Bianchi, two brothers and one sister, who are to separate themselves from the monastic community of Bose and to move to another place, and who are at the same time are relieved of all the offices they presently hold. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for keeping us up to date. I want to thank Real Estate for Life for partially underwriting Catholic Drive Time. We're very grateful for their sponsorship. You can find uh, more information about them if you're so inclined at realestateforlife.org, realestateforlife.org. We've also linked to them on our website, along with all the sponsors for our Fear and Trembling Game Show, which happens in our second hour, Monday through Friday. 
all on our website at grnonline.com forward slash cdt joining us right now via zoom chat is melissa maleski she wrote a book called the supreme vocation of women according to saint john paul ii good morning melissa good morning how are you praise god i am alive how are you <laughs> um pretty much the same thank that, you <laughs> that, that counts right it counts it that, does it, it does very it much does. now what part of the country are you from melissa I'm in D.C. right now. Praise be to God. Uh, so it's, what, uh, 80 below down there or four feet of no, snow? Or? No, we are actually looking at almost 70 degree what? weather this week. <laughs> we're, we're, we're excited for spring. <laughs> it's, it's the springtime. Praise be to yeah. God. Blue skies and sunshine and fair weather. We love it. Now, this yeah. book is incredible, I think, for many reasons. You know, I'll never forget um, Rodney Stark, who is not a Catholic. He's an agnostic, wrote a book about the early church and how Christianity spread so quickly in the early church. And one of the key points in his writing was about women. And he talks about how paganism was harsh upon women in the ancient world. And how when they discovered Christianity, they would flock to it. And they often, especially in places like Rome, would bring powerful husbands along with them. And it helped to lead to the fast and rapid spread of Christianity in the ancient world. And I want to believe that uh, there's, there's, there's a natural law like a truth in that. And that mm -hmm. what Christianity brings to the human race is something greater and more beautiful and more profound than could be found anywhere else in society. And I think your book touches on that. Can you tell us about it? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes. So there is this idea that women have nothing substantial to bring to the faith, um, that it is a... Um, they're really just followers in the in the strict sense and what we find throughout all of salvation history is that there is something much more uh, powerful about the agency of, of women and john paul ii especially had a heart for pulling out the dignity of the human person and especially women in that and so you know he spent so much of his pontificate exploring human dignity and bringing women into that, um, which we all know <clears throat> on the dignity of women, letters to women, letters to families, letters to youth. He really incorporated all of that. But at the end of his, near the end of his life, he called women sentinels of the invisible, elevating kind of our, our, our status in the divine plan to something that we hadn't really discussed before. And so in my book, I explore this idea of what does it mean for a woman to be a sentinel of the invisible? And we see these examples in retrospect all throughout scripture, all throughout the, the saints who followed at the time of Jesus. A perfect example is the, the Samaritan woman at the well who we just heard about in Sunday's gospel, where she was an outcast, a pariah. She, you know, she went to the well in the middle of the heat of the day to avoid other people. And Jesus encountered her and she encountered him. And she was so transformed that she went back to the village she avoided to tell people about Jesus. But do you know what? Do you remember what happens next? They follow her. They follow her right to Jesus without asking any questions. And so that right there, I think, encapsulates the essence of the, the agency that God has instilled in womanhood to bring people back to him in this world. Now, a lot of the issues that we see that we are facing today in the world are issues of spiritual warfare really at their core. And one thing that I found really fascinating in your book is that you write about 
the, how the devil is afraid of women. He's terrified mm-hmm. of us. So can you tell us a little bit about why the devil is afraid of women and why uh, in the, in the uh, Garden of Eden, the serpent targeted Eve first? Isn't that a fascinating thought that he, he went for the woman and not for the man? Uh, which I just, I loved thinking about that and meditating that. And it's, it is because in, we read in Genesis, the creation of woman is the exact point in the created world where uh, we have the first instance of a real communion of of community of that relational nature that is the essence of god himself and so woman completes the image of god in the human person because we have that relational nature so we are critical in what uh, is called the order of love so it's not just a self-fulfilling prophecy where we just receive and give back to god but we can also be filled so much that it pours out into the rest of the world. And that could not happen unless we existed just on our own, not necessarily without any particular utility or uses, just our very existence creates this reality. And that's what terrifies the devil. <laughs> just the existence of our, you know. Melissa uh, Melissa Molesky is our guest. Her book is The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. Now, Melissa, you mentioned the devil's attack on uh, in the Garden of Eden, focusing on, the, our, uh, focusing on Eve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I don't think that stopped there. The attacks have been coming ever since. As a kid, I remember a famous song, you know, uh, about a woman, you know, I can bring home the bacon, I can fry it up in a pan, right? She, so she, 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 points out in this song that she can do everything a man can do and and they're complete equals. It seems to me that since the attack on Eve, there has been nothing but contention amongst the sexes, the the genders, the male and female, and this power struggle of who gets to be uh, the best or in charge or equal. Um, but the, the, the John Paul II teaching, the, the teaching of the Catholic faith, talks about the dignity of the human persons as being equal, but not having the same tasks, the to-do tasks, the same purpose and mission. Can you speak to that? Yes, yes. This is such a, a an important topic that people love, love to grasp, and it's kind of difficult to grasp because it, you can get into the ideas of um, strange gender, gender norms, which is a huge part of the cultural conversation today. But the idea that we are equal in dignity as men and women, but we are called to do uh, very distinct things in the world. And I like to, to say, to describe it as God gave the human race a story to tell about himself, and he instilled it in our souls. And then as male and female, he said, I want you to emphasize this particular aspect of my story as a male. And I want women, I want you to emphasize this particular aspect of my story. And so if we think of it as a story, story has components. It tells you what's happening. So you have a what, and that is what is common, what is equal between men and women. And then in a story, you also find out how things happen and why things happen. Hold that thought. Uh, Melissa, I'm sorry to have to cut you off, but that is why they pay me the big bucks, to cut important people off, because we're getting ready to go to a break. We're going to come right back from the short break with Melissa Molesky about her book, The Supreme Vocation of Women, According to St. John Paul II. That conversation is coming up next. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
Obedience has never been easy or popular. One Minute Monk, Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. In monastic life, each monk gives obedience to the abbot and the community. The fundamental obedience for St. Benedict, however, is simply obedience to God's will, a basic Christian virtue. The rule of St. Benedict emphasizes obedience as imitation of Christ, who came not to do his own will, but the will of the Father in loving trust, even unto death. In a monastic community and in your own life, obedience simply means following the will of God and fulfilling our vocation to the best of our ability. For your free copy of The Rule of St. Benedict, visit OneMinuteMonk.com. O-N-E-MinuteMonk.com. Obedience is a paradox. In its practice, we find our surest path to freedom. Access to clean water is something we often take for granted. When we turn on a faucet, out pours clean water that's safe for drinking. But that's not true in countries like Kenya, where the number one cause of child mortality is from drinking contaminated water. Together, we can change that. Cross Catholic Outreach works with local Catholic partners around the world to transform the lives of families living in poverty. Join this mission at crosscatholic.org bless. Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Melissa Molesky is our guest. Her book is The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II. We've been having a conversation, a pretty profound one in many ways. And I know, Adrian, this was uh, one of the questions that you wanted to ask. You, you wanted to ask about the essence of women. What is the essence of women? Because it seems to me that this is one of those fundamental things that's that's constantly being attacked in our modern society. Right, yes. Uh, I think uh, I had a question regarding what is a woman? And the reason why I'm asking, it seems like a silly question, but it seems as though you see the, the attack on women from the transgender movement saying, well, men can just become women just by fiat. I can say it, and I am a woman. Um, and But what and what is a woman that makes her distinct from a man? And why we ha- also have the idea of saying, oh, yes, a woman can do anything a man can do. Uh, what's the difference between a man and a woman? And what is the definition of woman? That is a great question. I would summarize it as womanhood in her essence is the guardian of the human person in Christ. So as Christ has brought human nature into his divine person, we are the guardians of that human nature that has been brought into Christ. That is what we are in our essence. And uh, in regards to that, wouldn't uh, how would you make that distinct from a man? Because uh, couldn't you say the same thing about a man saying, uh, just like Joseph was a guardian of Our Lady and of uh, Christ himself and his humanity, uh, so how how would you make the distinction between what a man is and what a woman is? I, it's it's a matter of degrees in in truth, um, because every person is is responsible for each other and for guarding Christ Himself. But I think we're we're talking about in terms of emphasis, masculinity and men guard Christ in Himself a little bit more. So. There's, there's a more of a, the structure and protection of the divine reality itself. And women emphasize a little bit more 
how a human person fits into the divine reality, which is why we see women naturally gravitate towards uh, roles in society that are caring, caretaking in nature and educational in nature and um, advocating for justice in nature, which is not something that men are not able to access by any means, but it's just, it's a natural expression of our reality. And along those same lines, we see a lot of cultures, not just the transgender question, but a lot of questions about femininity, feminism in the culture that have this sort of misguided notion of femininity. And so can you speak a little bit about how um, the modern notions of sexuality and gender are sort of a perversion of God's image and plan for, for men and women? Yes, absolutely. It's so sad because so much is rooted in the body, but the body has been separated from the soul. And so people don't really understand anymore that the body is an expression of a, who a person is. That the the body does not make the person. It's just it's a it's an outpouring of who you are. And so no one is made as a mistake. And so I think helping people to understand who they are in essence can then hopefully make them feel more comfortable in the expression that they were given from the moment of conception. Melissa Molesky is our guest. The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II, published by Sophia Institute Press, is our conversation. Melissa, I, I know many people have mistakenly believed that uh, religion is the opiate of the masses, and it uh, is, a, is a burden upon society and mankind. And there's a great effort still today, even in our own society, to rid the public sphere of religion and religious notions. Uh, and it has really affected women in their role, too. Can you speak about how uh, roles of women in marriage and society and religion and, and how it empowers them rather than oppresses them? Oh, it's, it, absolutely. Women are crucial at every level of society, from, you know, from being the root of the family to developing that small society and teaching children and and men how to interact in a larger society and it just builds on that it's like a flower that blooms and women are at the root bulb helping everything grow which is not always glamorous but it is still incredibly powerful and i think the world focuses so much on power and agency um, but women are at every level of that even in the church because you look at you look at women they're leading the uh, Catholic social services groups, they're leading church groups, they're, they are everywhere, they're in religious education, they're in the homes, they're in the workplace, no matter where they are, they are building up the kingdom in every single corner. And so I find it kind of sad that people don't see how much women are contributing, and that they're still, they still want more. Yes. They're not satisfied with what they're able to already give and be Mm. Uh, so influential already. It's funny, it's funny you say that. My wife and I, for uh, years, we would assist at a pre canic conference up in New Hampshire, and we mm -hmm. were asked to to give a talk together to engaged couples preparing for marriage, and we always had to give the talk on the church's teaching on sexuality. And in those days, we cringed at this. You know, this was frightening to us to have to be able to do this to these people. And, uh, and it's, we, we did this for years, and I, we'd always ask at the end of it, we would teach from JP2, the catechism, scripture, church teaching, all of it. And we'd always ask, are there any questions? And no, no, no questions. They wanted to check this box <laughs> and get to the altar and be done with all of this 
crazy. But there was one question. Uh, I don't, the only question we ever received after doing it for a few years uh, was, why does the church not allow women to be ordained priests? And I had just read, like the day before, by, by pure Holy Ghost moment, uh, mm-hmm. JP2's sentiments on that very question. And he said, because Christ has not given us the authority to do so. And we are not, uh, we do not possess the power to, uh, to do as we wish. We must Amen. do as the Lord commands. And it struck me when I said this to her, she, she pondered that. She didn't, I don't remember her having much of a, a, a sort of a response to it. But it does seem strange that in a world, whether it's gender issues or for women or men, it seems strange that part of our concupiscent nature is always to, to want more than we are given and we're never satisfied. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's because we have pushed God out of the sphere of of our entire life. There's no room for him. And so we are all that's left in in the world. And so we have to fill this empty space with ourselves. And it will never be enough because we are not our own origin. And so until we reintegrate God into the foundation of our life, we're always going to be searching and striving and falling short. Absolutely. Which is kind of sad. Yeah. And, and the more that I know, the more that I dove into the teachings of the church on uh, sexuality, ordination, etc., I found that it all makes sense because of this complementarity between men and women and that mm-hmm. masculinity and femininity are both essential to the church and to our faith and to our understanding of ourselves and who God is as well. And in your book, you sort of talk, you, you mention, um, that we refer to the the church as mother, as female. So can you explain why we call the church our, our mother uh, rather than just it? Well, she, uh, she, she carries humanity to Christ. That is literally the vessel that brings Christ and humanity together. And so that is why we call her a she, because she has those feminine qualities of protecting humanity in the person of Christ and bringing all of us together as a, as a family, as a unity, as bringing that communion uh, together of persons. And so if you imagine it, I always imagine it as the church and, and femininity gathering her people together in one spot and bringing them up to the altar, whereas the priests bring Christ down to the altar and we meet right in the middle. And that is the the beautiful simplicity of complementarity and how it plays out in the church and in what we are called to do. Uh, Melissa Molesky is our guest. We have about uh, three minutes or so left with uh, with you in our conversation. The book is The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II, published by Sophia Institute Press. We're linking to it on our live video feeds. Um, Melissa, what do, we, what do women do? Let's just, uh, with the last three minutes of our time, give us some practical tasks or what can women do, especially if they've been raised to think of this sort of modern notion of feminism, uh, and how do they retrain their their mind, retrain their thoughts and their their life to sort of a, align more closely to that of the church and what uh, the church has taught us about true feminism? Oh my goodness! If I had those answers, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> 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 um, I I would say first of all, reestablish a strong relationship with our Lord. Pray, practice praying, and and getting comfortable with prayer. Um, reading about some of the saints, but also just being okay with discerning how God wants 
to be in your life and not necessarily worrying about what the world expects of you and discovering what God expects of you. Um, because as you discover that, you will find that um, anger melts away and confusion melts away. It doesn't fix all the problems, but it certainly makes it easier to carry the yoke that we're given. And so, you know, whatever God has called you to do, just speak with him, bring it to him and take a step forward and then another one and then another one. And that's all you can do. And then wake up the next day and do it all again. Well, uh, praise be to God. Melissa Molesky has been our guest this hour, The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II, uh, published by Sophia Institute Press. Um, what, do you, what do you think? Last question. We have about a minute and a half left. Melissa, what do you think will uh, be your shining moment in this book? Do you think women will, will be able to be inspired by this and maybe make a change in their relationship to even their spouses or their children? I certainly hope so. I My hope with this book is that it reignites a fresh conversation about what human sexuality is and the dignity of the human person in our, in our modern world. All right. That is my hope. Praise be to God. It's been great talking to you, Melissa. Thank you very Thank much you for your very time much. today. God love you and God bless you. Have a great day, Melissa Molesky. The book is The Supreme Vocation of Women According to St. John Paul II. I encourage you to check it out on Sophia Institute Press's website. But that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. God love you. Thank you for hanging out with us this hour. If you're able to join us for the next hour, we would love to have you. Our game show is coming up in the next hour and prizes are involved, plus the after show where you get to drive the conversation, dear listener. All that, plus so much more at Catholic Drive Time is still headed your way. If you can join us on Facebook, Twitter, or on YouTube, we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read scripture, read the catechism, listen to apologetics tapes, listen to Catholic radio. Learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5 verse 10. Do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity. 
an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, sacraments, all in rapid-fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know, when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you, and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Your odyssey begins at the University of Dallas, the premier Catholic liberal arts university in Texas. With campuses in Irving and Italy, UD's rigorous core curriculum sets it apart. An education rooted in the great works of Catholic and Western tradition. An education that ennobles and enables students in the pursuit of wisdom, truth, and virtue. Undergraduate, graduate, and certificate programs are available. Start your college odyssey at the University of Dallas today. Go to udallas.edu to learn more. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Hopefully your weekend went really well. If you're just joining us, it's good to have you on the Catholic Drive Time show this morning. Praise praise God. Looking at the uh, sunrise coming up, I always love it. I'm a sucker for a good sunrise or a good sunset. Oof, God is so good to create something so beautiful, something so profound that moves the soul as to seeing his incredible uh, creation. And I just love sunrises and sunsets, so it's a beautiful time. It always gives me... Uh, As my colleague Dave Palmer would say in North Texas, it warms the cockles of my heart. Praise God. I want to thank uh, those who have shared our our streams this morning. I'm seeing 15 shares of our Facebook stream. God love you. God bless you. Thank you for doing that. That really helps. If you're hanging out with us on YouTube, please consider a share and a like. That would be super helpful to us to overcome the algorithms that are difficult there. And, uh, of course, on Twitter, uh, a nice little retweet would be awesome. Praise be to God. But we're going to have a great hour this hour. We just finished a wonderful conversation with Melissa Molesky about her book called The Supreme Vocation of Women. And, uh, Emily, that's kind of a – the, the supreme vocation sounds pretty big. Strong words. Definitely strong words. But really, um, she's – I love what she's doing because she's clarifying the culture's misunderstanding of what femininity is. And I love that she mentioned power as well, because what is true power? It's charity. It's holiness. And so that was a great conversation. Lori on Facebook says, great and interesting guest. Praise God. We agree. Thank you. Uh, We'll have more conversation. I know Mr. Thomas over on YouTube is saying he's got tons of questions about the subject, and maybe we can have that conversation in the after show. So that'll be coming up this hour. In the second half of this hour, if you're able to join us in one of our social streams, you, my dear listener, get to drive the conversation there by commenting, and we'll have that conversation uh, then. So please do uh, join us for the after show. But we'll have breaking news and stories coming up here in a minute. We'll also have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, and three more chances to get into the drawing for this week's prize 
uh, which is generously underwritten by the Olive Tree this week. So news, new prize, new opportunities, and the game show, all of that coming up here in just a little bit. So keep the phone number handy if you have it already. If not, I will give it to you shortly. But let's begin with prayer. Whatever your intentions are, dear listener, we are praying for you. And if you want, if you're hanging out with us on one of the social streams, please do feel free to comment there about what your intention may be, and we are, of course, going to include your intentions with ours. So if you're hanging out with us on radio, no problem. Uh, the Lord knows your intentions, and we include them. So we're going to ask Our Lady to intercede for us. We're going to ask her to whisper these intentions to the ear of her son, that uh, he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred hearts. All right? So let's pray. let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. Iraq's Prime Minister on Saturday declared March 6th a National Day of Tolerance and Coexistence in honor of Pope Francis' landmark meeting with the country's top Shiite cleric. Prime Minister Mustafa al-Kadimi made the announcement via Twitter on March 6th after the meeting between the Pope and Grand Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani. The declaration said, In celebration of the historic meeting in Najaf between Ayatollah Ali al-Sistani and Pope Francis, and the historic interreligious meeting in the ancient city of Ur, we declare March 6th a national day of tolerance and coexistence in Iraq. The Pope visited the 90-year-old Al-Sistani at his modest home in Najaf and removed his shoes before entering the room. Al-Sistani broke with his own custom of staying seated to receive visitors and rose to greet the Holy Father at the door of the room where he holds private conversations with guests. A Catholic group has received a large grant to restore and to provide a place for tourists to examine the state's religious and cultural history. The Carmel Mission Foundation received a $1.8 million grant to restore one of the oldest California missions, the Mission San Carlos Borromeo del Carmelo in California. The Carmel Mission was the second mission founded by St. Junipero Serra. The 250-year-old property is home to some of California's oldest structures, art, and artifacts, dating back to 1568. This building served as Sarah's living quarters and headquarters for the California mission system. The project is scheduled to be completed by the fall in time to commemorate the 250th anniversary of the mission's establishment. And a tattoo artist in Belarus has restored the Stations of the Cross at a historic church at the invitation of its pastor. Julia Kolba, known in the tattoo industry as Pipetka, applied her skills to the 14 Stations of the Cross at the Church of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Adamovici. Kulba, a highly regarded tattoo artist with more than 15 years of experience, had never restored a religious artwork before Shemet approached her in early 2021. She worked with her sister, who is also a trained artist. The church was built in 1854. A former prisoner of a Soviet camp began to restore the station 60 years ago, but was forced to abandon the work due to ill health. Kulba and her sister worked inside the church for a week during daylight hours. She said the restoration would be for the good not only of the church, but also of the people, all people who went there. 
I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Monday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to God in all things. St. Felix of Burgundy, pray for us. St. Felix was born in the late 6th century in Burgundy, France. He was a monk, he was a priest, and he met, befriended, converted, and baptized King Siegbert, who was in exile from East Anglia. When Siegbert returned to East Anglia in 630, he invited Felix to bring Christianity to his people. Felix was ordained a bishop by St. Honoratus of Canterbury, and then sailed up the River Kent, apparently starting his work in the area now known as Felixstowe. He evangelized throughout East Anglia, building a cathedral, a school at Dunwich, stone churches throughout the whole region, and even a college that became the University of Cambridge. Uh, with St. Siegbert, he founded the Bury St. Edmund's Abbey in 637. He would die on the 8th of March, 647. St. Felix of Burgundy, pray for us. And the gospel comes to us today from Luke chapter 4, verses 24 through 30. Jesus said to the people in the synagogue at Nazareth, Amen, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own native place. Indeed, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was closed for three days and a half, three, forgive me, when the sky was closed for three and a half years, and a severe famine spread over the entire land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but only to a widow in Zarephath in the land of Sidon. Again, there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. When the people in the synagogue heard this, they were all filled with fury. They rose up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill, on which their town had been built, to hurl him down headlong. But he passed through the midst of them and went away. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Um, you ever stop to ponder about Jesus passing through the midst of them and went away? Like they were going to stone him, some scholars say, and then toss him over the hill. But either way, they were going to toss him over that hill. What stopped them? How is it that he was able to just pass through them and go away? That is fascinating to me about who Jesus Christ is and how when it's not yet God's will for his time, it wouldn't happen. The time of his passion was not yet come. And so nobody had the power to kill him until that time. It, that realization should set into you about the will of God and how it works in your life. My wife and I are going through a book called the Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence. St. Columbert helped to write it. It is a powerful little spiritual treaty on understanding the will of God, how it works in your life, and surrendering yourself completely to His will, accepting everything that happens to you, whether it's good or bad, as though it comes from the hand of God. It's a powerful look, and I think this speaks to it. Jesus here is, is referring to, uh, as he just had finished reading in the synagogue to these men, uh, Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2, and it proclaims the good news to the captives. Jesus is saying he is salvation incarnate. He is the good news in flesh. He is, in fact, the Messiah. But what's the kicker here? The kicker are these two examples, one for Elijah, one for Elisha. And in both of these examples, they involve not Israelites, not Jews, 
but Gentiles. And they did not want to hear that because the the plan of God, the will of God for humankind is salvation. But it includes all peoples, not just some of those peoples. The people of God, the Israelites, were set apart. They were given the law to be consecrated unto him, the Father, set apart from their Gentile neighbors, the sinful practices, the pagan rituals, these uh, idolatrous, the idolatrous nature of their neighbors. They needed to be set apart from that. But to what end? To then be used for the conversion of their neighbors, to meet them where they're at, but then take them where they got to go. And that is to salvation, to be a part of the family of God. And that is what they struggled with. And this is why Jesus gives us this mission today to remind us in this passage that our mission is to be set apart, not participants in the sin, but to be consecrated to him, but then to be used as a, as a tool in the hand of the Holy Spirit to bring about the conversion of our neighbors, whether they are, they are Catholics or not, but if they live in a, in a state of sin, it is our job to help the Holy Ghost bring about their reversion or conversion. Adrian? Yes. So, a couple things. Uh, one thing that's important is talking about our Lord. Okay, so for, just real quick, you had mentioned about Jesus passing amongst them. Augustine actually says that he went, that he turned invisible. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it at that. <laughs> but uh, in regards to everything else going on, our Lord goes to his hometown and his, and his hometown rejects him. Why did they reject him? This is important to note because our Lord... Uh, did not perform miracles here, not because he was not able to perform miracles, because obviously, as we've seen, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. He can t- choose to do miracles as he pleases. But he said, I cannot do miracles here. Why not? Because of the lack of faith, because of the incredulity of the people that were there. Um, and we see the same thing in our lives today in the, in America, uh, in other countries that where we have, uh, once been evangelized and we have left the faith. We have apostatized from the faith. Uh, we, when we reject Christ, when we reject our Lord, then it becomes very difficult for miracles to happen. It becomes very difficult for us to become close to God because we rejected him. We have known and rejected versus uh, at pagan nations who never knew Christ. And when exposed to them for the first time, they are converted. And so I think it's very important for us to recognize that this is a this is a reality that we live in today. And if we want to change, if we want to grow in a relationship with our Lord and have miracles that we see, I had just learned about in Nacogdoches, Texas, there's a miracle where a uh, blessed or a venerable rather struck a rock and waters are spewing out from the rock. And that's wow. right here in Texas, not too far from where my brother's going to school. And that blows my mind. And why don't we see these things happening today? Yeah. It's because we're an incredulity because of the incredulity of the people of America today, uh, you and I, do we believe, do we have faith, uh, or do we, will we accept our Lord into our homes, into our hearts, into our yeah. lives? Uh, that's something to think about. You know, the book itself, uh, the one that I mentioned, Trustful Surrender to Divine Providence, The Secret of Peace and Happiness, it is a powerful little book, but it's very challenging. Can you accept God's will in all circumstances? Someone cuts you off in traffic. Could you say, praise be to God, thank you for the humility? Uh, you know, Friday we had a lot of tremendous difficulties technologically on the show. Uh, I am prone to complaining about all kinds of little things. Can I, I wondered, it made me wonder, can I go a half hour accepting God's will no matter what happens and not complaining about it? Whatever happens, whether it's good or bad, accepting God's providential will for my life as though he knows better than I do. Or can I not let go of my tight, white-knuckle grip 
on my life and controlling everything. I, I thought about this in, in the form of a challenge. Can you, my dear listener, go a half hour? Maybe we call it the God's will be done half hour challenge. I wonder, can you go a half hour accepting everything that happens as though it's God's will? You know, God's will be done, no matter what, what happens, good or bad, without complaint, but always giving praise. That's, uh, I think, harder than it sounds, in my opinion, at least if I'm being honest about my own self. But I wonder what you think. And you could be a part of that in our, our after-show conversation uh, in the next half hour when we let you, our dear listeners, drive the conversation. Uh, maybe you can comment about that and we can talk about it. The God's Will Be Done half-hour challenge. Maybe we should, maybe we should get a hashtag uh, trending there. I don't know. We'll see. But coming up in the next segment is our Fear and Trembling Game Show, where we have three new opportunities. A brand new prize this week is on deck. Thanks to Thy Olive Tree for generously underwriting the prize pack this week. Three new chances to get in on the prize. Your chance right now, especially if you haven't played in at least a month or you've never played before, call right now, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. You don't even need to know the answers to the questions. 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read scripture, read the catechism, listen to apologetics tapes, listen to Catholic radio. Learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5 verse 10. Do not be afraid, henceforth you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, sacraments, all in rapid fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know, when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you, and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain.
Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, our Catholic trivia game show where we secretly and hiddenly have a uh, have an opportunity to teach the faith, to have a laugh, and to give out prizes. It's kind of a win-win-win for everybody. Just don't tell anybody that. But uh, here's the deal. If you're just joining us, we always take the first caller to be our contestant, and we're always so very grateful to see uh, the many callers that do try to get on the game show. But it's always the first caller. But we, we don't ask the caller the questions. No, instead, I have three Catholic trivia questions here that I ask Emily and I ask Adrian, and one of them will have a right answer. The other will be wrong. The caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to decide who do they trust more, Emily or Adrian. And then every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tell them what they could win, Emily. This week's show sponsor is Thy Olive Tree, and Thy Olive Tree is a ministry that was founded by a convert named Kate. And now when Kate converted to the the Catholic faith, um, she was a young mother, and she noticed that there were no Catholic memory scrapbooks for her children that she wanted to use. So she decided to fill that need by creating one, and she has so many beautiful um scrapbooks that she's created on her website. Um, so there's a $45 value. She's giving away one of her memory scrapbooks for children. All right. Praise be to God. Again, thank you to everyone who tried to call in. Let's go to the phones. First caller, Andrea, good morning to you. Thank you for being on our show. Good morning. Praise be to God, Andrea. Where are you calling from? Dallas, Texas. Dallas, Texas. And where do you go to church? St. Monica. All right. Praise God. And uh, have you listened to the game before? Do you understand how the rules work? Yes, I understand. All right. So you know that Emily and Adrian, they can be tricky, and you got to keep a careful ear on them. I do. <laughs> All right. Let's play. We're going to start with Emily, as is our custom. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Yes. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Emily, can you tell me what term refers to the three persons of the Trinity... Being of one and the same substance and essence. Okay. Oh, this is a tricky theological question. So the word for this, you'll recognize it from the creed, is consubstantial. Wow. Sounds reasonable. Could be. Let's see what uh, Adrian has to say. Adrian, Adrian, can you tell me what term refers to the three persons of the Trinity being of one and the same substance and essence? Uh, let's see... I am going to go with homoousion. Homoousion. You got very fancy there. What is that, Greek or something? Actually, yeah. (laughs) I was going to say French, but close. Okay. So, uh, let's see. Adrian is on the hook for homoousion. And Emily is on the hook for consubstantial. Who's right? Who's wrong? 15 seconds on the clock. Andrea, what say you? Ah. I wish I knew Greek. <laughs> um, I'm going to go, I mean, Latin, Latin, I'm sorry. Um, is it uh, Emily? Survey says. Yes. Very good. <laughs> well done. That was tricky, wasn't it, Andrea? 
Yeah, I uh, yes. <laughs> He's throwing out the Greek on you now. If I'm not mistaken, Adrian, that Greek was the uh, was the Aryan preference in the Nicene Creed, was it not? You know, I'll be completely honest. I get super confused when I think of the difference between homoousian and, and homoousian, <laughs> and I get them confused. So I'm not going to say uh, at least I fall into heresy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was trying to give you a chance to sound smart, you know, for your parents' sake <laughs> on the air. But okay, Adrian, if you say so. All right. Uh, second question. Well done, Andre. You're in the coffee cup of divine providence now with one chance. You get two more chances. Uh, so praise be to God. You didn't fall for that one. Let's try the second one. Adrian, we'll start with you this time. Adrian, are you ready? Yes, sir. Here we go. How many natures does Jesus Christ have? How many natures does Jesus Christ have? Uh, let's see. I am going to go with saying that Christ has one nature and it's a mixture of the divine and human nature. Ooh. So one name. Your answer is one. One. Okay. Let's see what Emily has to say. Emily, can you tell me how many natures does Jesus Christ have? Okay, this is kind of tricky. Well, we know that we all only have human nature, but Jesus was both God and man. So he had two natures in one person. Ooh. Divine and human. Okay. Okay. Emily is on the hook for two natures. Adrian is on the hook for one nature. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Andrea, what say you? Oh, my God. Why was Monday so tough? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Andrea. 50-50 shot. See, you can uh, always guess. I know. Okay, I'll go with um, Emily. Survey says... Wow. There we go. Keep away from those heresies. <laughs> now, that's pretty impressive. Your guessing skills are very good. Uh, let me know if you're going to go play the Powerball or anything. I might want to tag along and, and uh, get a little insight from you there. But yes. uh, two tough questions. This third one, I think, is probably going to be the easiest. So. Oh, real quick, Joe. Yeah. The, uh, about the, my answer, just to clarify, that is a heresy that Eutyches espoused saying that the human divine nature is kind of mixed together and uh, they created this whole new nature that was unique uh, to Christ himself and uh, no one else had that. That is a heresy and the truth is that it is uh, two natures, uh, human and divine. And we call that the hypostatic union, by the way. So praise be to God. Two natures in one person. All right, third question, third opportunity to get, to get into the coffee cup of divine providence, Andrea. Here we go. Let's go back to Emily. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. Emily, what does a reliquary contain? What does a reliquary contain? Yes. Um, a reliquary. Is that where you put the... Um, is that like what he uses in Mass to put the, the Eucharist in? You're, are you asking or telling? I'm asking. <laughs> no. <laughs> you want me I'm going to say... Answer? Yeah. No, no. I'm kidding. Um... I'm going to say that the Eucharist. That's okay. what you, yeah. So you're on the hook for the Eucharist. I think you use that in Mass, yeah. Let's see what Adrian says. Adrian, can you tell me what does a reliquary contain? Well, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say that a reliquary houses relics. Just throw, just throwing <laughs> it out there. Okay, so just, your, your you know. answer is relics. Uh, Adrian is on the hook for relics and a reliquary, and uh, Emily's on the hook for the Eucharist and a reliquary. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Andrea, what say you? Um, it, it seems that uh, I think Adrian would be right this time. Survey says... 
No, wow. there you go. three for three. Three for three. <laughs> Perfect score. Can't <laughs> fool you, Andrea. Those were some tricky <laughs> questions, but you did really well, Andrea. Thank you. Praise be to God. So three chances in the coffee cup of divine providence. How do you feel? I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're excited, too. So thank you for being a part of our show today. God love you. We're going to put you on hold so we can get your phone number off air. So in case it's God's providence for your life, that you might be pulled out of the cop on Friday. We'll be able to call you back and get you connected to your to your prize. So uh, you, thank you. Real quick, Andrea, do you think you could go a half hour in accepting God's will for your life no matter what happens? You, do you think you could do that? Of course. I'm not sure I could. I, I think it would be challenging for me to do that, but uh, maybe we're, we're considering starting the the half hour God's will be done challenge, and I, I wonder how many people could pull it off. But God bless you, Andrea. We're going to put you on hold. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. All right. Praise be to God. That's going to do it for the for the radio side of our show. God's God's will be done in all things. We're going to have the Holy Mass begin broadcasting here in a few minutes across the Guadalupe Radio Network. If you're going to go to Holy Mass. Please do us a favor and keep us in your prayers and your intentions. I'd be so grateful to you. We're going to stay on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitter for the live video feed for the after show, where we will conversate about whatever it is you want to conversate about. Like, for instance, having a uh, five-year-old birthday party themed as a uh, firefighter and then singeing all of your arm hair during the birthday party. Like, we could have that conversation because that happened yesterday. But otherwise, whatever's on the show, whatever, I know Mr. Thomas has a bunch of questions. Um, we can uh, conversate about that, the, the headlines or whatever is on your mind and on your heart. All you have to do is comment on one of those live video feeds and we'll pick it up in the after show and conversate with you. So praise be to God for that. Um, I don't know. What, anything else before we sign off on the radio side, Emily? Yeah. Oh, I or have Adrian. one thing real quick. Uh, we are having a exclusive live stream show with uh, Bree Dale and Joey Mignot. Uh, so that will be happening today after at about 9 a.m. Central Time. And uh, that will be an exclusive live stream show. So that's pretty awesome. All right. God's will be done in all things. Uh, we're very excited about this week coming up uh, because we have so many guests on the hook for the show. Uh, we're going to have some very interesting conversations for guests you might not have heard before, but powerful conversations nonetheless, and you get to be a part of that. Do us a favor and share the Catholic Drive Time with other people. We've got tons of information over on our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. We have information about the show, information about each one of us. We have the the podcast, the audio podcast version of the program there. Videos are linked up there. We have our email list there, plus our sponsors are there. It's just a wonderful place to go to get tons of information about Catholic Drive Time. And we would be very grateful if you would be one of our ambassadors and sharing us to your friends, your family, and to the world at large. All right, that's going to do it for today's Catholic Drive Time. God bless you. God love you. Don't forget, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. And if we don't see you in the after show, have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern. God bless. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you.
Welcome to the after show of Catholic Drive Time, where we get a little more casual in our conversation. And you, my dear listener, get to drive that conversation with your questions and your comments on our social media feeds. Praise be to God. Um, wow. The fog, the frog brain was alive and well today. Um, I just couldn't get the cobwebs out of my, the sleepy out of my brain today. It just wasn't working. It is a uh, time to make the donuts moment where you have to just, by sheer willpower. I was thinking today as, uh, I, in the Marine Corps, when I was at boot camp, back in the, in the in, you know, last, in the last century, when I went to boot camp, San Diego, I had a habit, five minutes before Reveille would sound, my eyes would just open up. Every time on the dot, like clockwork, my eyes would open up five minutes before Reveille. And I would lay there in bed, and I would just look over, and I would see the drill instructor with his Smokey the Bear campaign cover uh, pacing back and forth in the, the what we call the schoolroom portion of our barracks, waiting for the moment to pounce like a tiger on unsuspecting young recruits with his trash can and, uh, and angst. And today I had a moment like that too, where it's like five minutes before my alarm clock went off, poof, eyes were open, and I realized, oh man, I can't go back to sleep now. And I, I kept hearing the words of St. Jose Maria Escriva in my ear. Do not hit the snooze. <laughs> not hit the snooze. Heroic minute, right? Heroic. You put your, get your foot, roll your foot out of bed, put it on the ground. That's step number one to heroic virtue for the day. It's more like a heroic 15 minutes for me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Well, praise be to God. Uh, good show today, in spite of the frog brain. Our conversation yeah. with uh, our guest was wonderful. It's just, it's such a broad topic. It's hard to like narrow it down and ask. I mean, there's just so much we could talk about, but yeah, it was a really interesting discussion. Yes. I'm going to uh, read through the passages that uh, Mr. Thomas sent us and I'll uh, let y'all know whenever I've read it. <laughs> yeah. I, that's what I was kind of doing during the commercial breaks too. He had a lot of questions on YouTube for our for, uh, first hour guest. So. Yeah. You know, it is amazing that we pull off the show the way we do uh, because we have like, like right now I'm looking at, I wish I could post a picture someplace of this. Like I've, I've got a screen with about a, a dozen tabs up to my left where I'm trying to go back and forth between comments on all the different social feeds and our internal comments that we use. I have that over here in front of me. I have... Uh, the phone uh, interface where I can see who's calling in. I have my notes for the show and then like special tabs on a web browser for like the, the guest book, for instance, was up there. <clears throat> the gospel of the day is up there, the saint of the day. And then up here, I have another uh, iPad screen where I had the Zoom chat up or the Zoom so I can see our guest and I can interact with them. Adrian has got at least two or three screens going. Emily's got all her screens going. There's a lot of spinning plates that happen over here. So um, it is by the sheer miracle of God that we're able to uh, pull the show off, I would say. Now, Jesus on YouTube says, I like how you guys give up the answers to the trivia game too easy. <laughs> this is, is this the same Jesus? I don't think it is. <laughs> it's uh, good Catholic guilt, Jesus. <clears throat> like, uh, when we start, to, it's like I, whenever I'm picking the questions, for whatever reason, I'm like, oh, that's a good question. That's like a teachable moment. It's a learning thing. 
And then I start to ask the guests the question. I'm like, oh, wow, these are like these are trickier <laughs> than I thought they were. Well, uh, 93, our YouTube user with a, a lot of consonants in her username, says that she never heard the hype of the hypostatic union before, but now she knows what it means. So wow. she or he, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Praise be to God. Okay. Uh, on the mic. Yep. I forgot to turn the mic on. Uh, so the I'm looking at the passages that Mr. Thomas sent. He's asking about uh, women's role in the church. And I think it's a very important question to talk about. Uh, and it's often overlooked. And uh, we talked a little bit about this, but I think it's important to focus in on. He focuses on, on the scripture because, yes, scripture is authoritative and we know that what is said in scripture is the divine uh, is divinely inspired by god himself and so we know it is true and can never be overturned it can never be uh rejected because it is uh from god himself and thus is true now what he's referring to here is in uh first corinthians chapter 14 verse 35 it says but if they would learn anything let them ask their husbands at home for it is a shame for a woman to speak in the church uh, again, we see uh, throughout uh, Paul's letters, he talks about women covering their heads when they're in the church. Uh, we see uh, also whenever it says that that um, that a husband should uh, lay down his life for his uh, for his bride as Christ for the church. But we often forget the part where it says that the uh, woman be subordinate to her husband in all things, as the church is subordinate to Christ. Now, what is it saying here, and what are we, what is being said here? What is what are they talking about? It's important to note that uh, the in the church, the priest has the authority as the head of uh, the church, and because he is in persona Christi, which is to say in English, he is in the acting in the person of Christ or as the person of Christ. When he performs the sacraments, whenever he is uh, up at the altar, the reason why this is is because uh, man is a is a symbol of Christ. That's why Christ came to earth as a man. He was incarnate as a man. Now, what is the difference between a man and a woman? A man uh, is is one who gives. He is one who gives himself. It's biologically uh, integrated into a man that he gives, especially in uh, the marital act, we see that the man gives and the woman receives. It's in the nature of a woman to receive uh, from the man. It's uh, in the marital act. Uh, and so, too, do we see the woman receives in all things uh, in her life. Uh, and so we see that in scripture, it says that the woman should not speak in the church. Why is that? Because the office of speaking is reserved for the priesthood. Uh, and it also, it's also important to note that it's not just women who are not supposed to speak in church. Right. It is all lay people should not be speaking in church. Yeah, exactly. uh, it is only the priests and those who are part of the minor orders and major orders that are allowed to speak in the church. That's why they have uh, the the uh, minor order of lector, the minor order of, of acolyte. These are minor orders that they have. And that's why we also have altar boys. Mm. Um, and so having female altar boys is kind of a strange um new thing that's happened in the recent years but traditionally no you women were not allowed in the sanctuary it was only men because of that reason so i think uh, it is a very important uh, point you know, that's often overlooked also the same person who wrote first corinthians wrote the book of ephesians and if you look at ephesians 5 starting in verse 21 you get a powerful look uh, i think deeper into this very subject he says in verse 21 be subject to one another out of reverence for christ Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject in everything to their husbands. 
However, m- most people stop right there. A lot of uh, you know modern uh, feminists will get very upset at this verse. How dare? Well, okay, keep reading. The very next sentence should give us all some pause. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing as she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The women are asked to be obedient to their husbands. The men are asked to die for their spouses. There is a difference, a vast difference in in the order of things. And I think this speaks to the nature of creation itself. There is a hierarchy and an, and an order in all of creation. Things obey the order, right? So there's always a hierarchy. You, we, I think uh, as a Protestant, you know, there'd be a lot of uh, critiquing of the church, especially like, okay, we don't, how can we believe in the Pope, blah, 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 blah. Like, there's a lot of crit- criticism and critiques, but at the heart of it, most people want to be Pope. They want to be able to say what's true, what's not, what, what goes, what doesn't go. They want to be able to be in charge of things. Um, there, I think at that heart of contention for control over our lives and over what we believe and do is also at, as at the heart of contention between the spouses. And there's a hierarchy and an order, and it's natural, and it's part of uh, the nature. That's, this is what St. Paul speaks of. But the office of husband comes with terrible responsibility. This is why I gave a talk at the men's conference not long ago about the power of fathers to make or break families and society itself. It's a, it's a, it's a crazy thing to stop and ponder how God gave such power to men uh, that uh, who have concupiscent natures and could destroy families with that power and destroy society itself. Well, he's given such great power to women, too. And this is what our guest was sort of hitting on. But just because men and women are equal in dignity doesn't mean they have the same job, the same role to play. And if we are truly humble, then we would accept our role in spite of what we think about it and and fulfill our duties and obligations in our state and our vocations in life out of a humble obedience to God, irregardless. And um, I think that that contentious uh, part is a is a major role in in marriages and families, and one that we should all be um, meditating upon, especially the married folk. Right, and there are so many women throughout Scripture who who did so much. I mean, in in other parts of his letters, Paul writes about other women, Priscilla, Phoebe. Um, who did so much to save souls and to like the church would not exist today without them. They were essential to uh, providing a place. Phoebe provided a place for them to have mass. Um, Priscilla and her husband Aquila converted people. She did speak about the faith and she knew um, she knew her faith well. And so there is a role for women to play in the church. And in many ways, it's a hidden role. And so like our blessed mother who contemplated and kept all of these things in her heart sometimes the the vocation of women goes unseen in many ways but that's part of the profound humility and beauty of it yeah right so real quick because uh, we're going to go off air early today because oh, i, I got to set up for brie dale's show uh but real quick uh the, i linked a great video on youtube that talks a little bit about this uh, especially about um 
or in St. Paul saying that women should cover their heads in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, Emily Alcaraz did a great uh, video on this, if I do say so myself. Uh, <laughs> then she, uh, and I linked it here where she talks about veiling and why uh, women should veil in a church. So I linked that there uh, if y'all want to check that out. Um, Dude, why do you say so yourself, Adrian? I'm just curious. Because because I recorded it and edited it for it. her. That's why. <laughs> and made a guest appearance. And made a guest <laughs> okay. appearance. Uh, right. But don't, 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 no, don't look at that part, though. Because we're running out of time our friend kathy up in danvers mass brought up an excellent question she decided to go to latin mass and she loves it it's beautiful praise be to god but she is confused and kathy i can so relate to you i uh i, I came to the tradition of the church the hard way and uh so, somewhat begrudgingly and uh she says uh she says good morning saints i'm loving latin mass but confused they are yep. they are not <laughs> reading the scriptures in the Magnificat for that day. Do you know why? Or Latin readings different? Amen, Kathy. I feel like there ought to be if you start to if you've been a Catholic your whole life and all of a sudden you start going to to a uh, Latin mass, there still should be like an RCIA for traditional Catholics that you have to go through to like give you the lay of the land and teach you the little things uh, because that would be super helpful. I did not have that and I was like you, very confused, Adrian. Why is it that the Latin readings are different than the ones you might go to at the suburban parish? Yes, that's a great question, and I'm actually linking right now a website uh, that is uh, that has all the Latin Mass readings for the whole year, so you can check it out there. And of course, you could always, uh, in the future, purchase a missile that you that has all those. Uh, so just so I have that there ready for you to take a look at it, and it has all the complete Mass. Uh, in uh, Latin and English, so it's or, there. Or you could use an app. I use IPETA. It has the readings every yes. day. Yes, IPETA and IMAS is the one that a lot of people use uh, with the fraternity. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of really good resources out there, but I linked one there. But yes, the Mass uh, is a little bit different in terms of the readings. So the readings in the, extra- in the Extraordinary Form of the Mass, or the traditional Mass, uh, is has one epistle, and one gospel every day of the week, even on Sundays. So that the reason for that is because the cycle of readings that are in the traditional mass is the ancient uh, cycle of readings that have been done for uh, thousands of years, uh, for almost 2,000 years. Uh, with small iterations and changes in, uh, over time when they're moving a little feast days a little bit here and there. Uh, but it is a little bit difficult to wrap your head around when you're first getting started. Uh, for instance, during Lent, uh, there's a lot of what's called feral days, and those are basically days without uh, feast. And so on feral days, you actually do the readings for Sunday. And this took me a long time to figure out. Uh, I was really confused. I was going to daily mass and I was looking through my missile and I was like, why is there no uh, reading for today um, in my missile? And that's because on feral days, you actually do the readings for that Sunday. Uh, and so, yeah, Joe's right. There needs to be a whole catechism <laughs> class on how yeah. to understand the cycle of readings here. I'm yeah. still confused. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. going for years. <laughs> it's a little confusing. And so uh, that's the cycle of readings there. And then in the gospel, uh, there's always, uh, usually the for the epistle, there's not an Old Testament reading. It's specifically a New Testament epistle, usually from Paul. And, uh, but occasionally you will have epistles that are, uh, letter, that are, uh, readings from the Old Testament. Uh, but it's normally just an epistle from Paul and then a gospel reading. And yeah. in the Holy Season of Lent, you now have what they call a tract in between these two things, which is really just a psalm, but in a, and there is no ordinary time, but during something that might feel like ordinary time, there would be no tract. So it is confusing and, uh, you know what? Uh, I, maybe somebody could establish like a traditional RCIA program. 
you know, for 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 Catholics coming over, making the shift. What would you What would you call something like that? I'd be curious because I, I the Omega I was, program is what you said. What would you say? The Omega program. The Omega. Yeah, that, that was a joke. What you said. I said the Alpha program. Yeah. You said the Omega program. R T I A. R T I A. Right of traditional for yeah, yeah the uh, and. No, I, that, uh, we didn't, it needs to be a clever name for this. We have five minutes to go before we have to say goodbye. Um, but uh, I wanted to say that over the weekend, there was a lot of commentary about Bishop Barron making comments that felt negative, again, to traditional Catholics. You know, um, I don't understand why there needs to be so much animosity towards, uh, towards traditional Catholics all the time, you know, especially if, um, if traditional Catholics are called to have charity towards uh, Catholics that go to the Novus Ordo. Well, it should be a two-way road, in my opinion. And, and one of the things he said was there seems to be like a nostalgia for why young people are going to the traditional form of the church, traditional form of the mass. And I always say that's not ca- that's not the case. Uh, nostalgia would be your Novus Ordo parish putting up an altar rail, but never using it to receive communion at. Like you just want the look the, uh, and the feel of an older uh, tradition, but not really the implications uh, or you know the the reality of that tradition. Whereas a lot of young people are flocking to the tradition because of what the church's role and nature truly is to set us apart from the world around us. We don't want to be like the world. We want to be set apart from the world. To what end? To be by ourselves, like the Jews? No, to be about the business of converting the world for their salvation and for the glory of God. The, the liturgy, the tradition of the church is to set us apart. It is to make us a people consecrated for the mission of salvation of the world. All souls, not some of them, but all of them. That is what God desires. And I think that's why young people are flocking to the tradition of the church. And it, uh, it's discouraging to me when, uh, when people like Bishop Barron in particular uh, are discouraging of traditional Catholics or traditional forms of piety. Um, it's, I don't think it's helpful. It, I think it lacks some charity. And right, it, and that's a two-way road, by the way. Absolutely, and we know that for for years we have been complaining that the church has been watered down, that there's a lack of catechesis, and a lot of young people. What they find is that um, the <laughs> traditional church side of the church really reveals this uh, not lukewarmness, this this completely like passionate, zealous faith that we some some people feel they've been robbed of that has been missing for so long. So it's really not nostalgia yeah. because we're like discovering it for the first time. I didn't mean to laugh, but I saw a comment from Chris over on. Facebook. It says traditional RCIA is called RCIA. <laughs> I just it's caught me as funny as all. But uh, uh, Don Cantero, thanks for commenting on Facebook. We're very grateful to you. Welcome to the uh, priesthood, Father Nicholas Divine CSP. God bless you. God love you. Um, praise be to God. If you're hanging out with us today again, thank you for doing it. We're very grateful to you. Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, or wherever else you are. Do us a favor and share that video, share that content. Catholic Drive Time will be posting its conversation on YouTube and Rumble later today. But here in about 10 minutes, our friend Bree Dale from Rome is going to have a show, and we hope you'll join her for that. The live video feed will be available across our platforms in about 10 minutes from now. God love you and God bless you. Thank you for being a part of the Catholic Drive Time family. It's always so good to conversate with you right here in the after show, but we'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with 
everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Very Are you able to hear me? Yes, ma'am. I can hear you. How's my video look? Okay. Uh, yes, it looks good. It looks much better than before. Less uh, glare. Um, yeah, I closed my the window. So camera down a little bit, though. There we go. Uh, just a little bit more. Perfect. Thank you very much. Okay. Looks good. Bree. Hey. How's it going? I'm so mad right now. Why? <laughs> What's wrong? Because Joey's still, Joey's been in the waiting room since 1030 this morning. Italians are ridiculous. I just have to say 1030. Oh, he's in the hospital? He's been waiting. No, he's no. been, he is waiting for his sorgerno, his permiso. It's, it's a, a document, um, a government document that you have to stay here. I had it because the military offered it to me, but for whatever reason, the woman who was there got mad at Joey. And so she's like, go do it on your own. So welcome to Italy. So Joey had a, uh, scheduled appointment for 1030. Oh, no. He had a scheduled appointment. So he's not on the show today. He's not on the show today. It's uh, just me, but um, on uh, the the second part of the hour, we're going to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm going to have Yang, uh, Doctor Yan Benz on. Okay. Um, and he is a PhD. He has uh, a PhD in philosophy, but he has two masters. He's worked for EWTN before. He's worked for LifeSite. He's brilliant, and uh, he's become a, a dear friend here. He and his wife, and he did a talk for Acton Institute. Oh, cool. And his talk was.
really interesting on authority. So we're going to, we're going to discuss that in the midst of everything mm. else that's going on in the world. Why authority, the, the concept of authority, the traditional concept of authority is being broken down. Cool. So, well, praise God. It's It'll actually still be a really good show. interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, Adrian is available if you want to bounce stuff off of him or whatever. He's a pretty, yes. pretty sharp individual. Let's do that, Adrian, because seriously, I hate talking by myself. I feel like I'm an idiot <laughs> when I start doing that. It's pretty difficult to, uh, to talk for an hour straight by yourself. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, really. I'm so mad right now. It's not Joey's fault, but I'm so mad at him still. <laughs> yeah. We can still blame him. So, um, I mean. yeah, I'm going to blame him still. So, um, just kind of a, uh, and heads up. Are, are we going to, are we going to have the opening song? Cause I didn't actually hear it. Did you, did you mix it down with oh, the, here. Let um, me play it for you right now so you can hear it. Thanks. Just give me one second. So this is what it's going to sound like. Live from the sun-drenched cobblestones of the Eternal City, conversations crossing faith, culture, and current events. Civil discourse, civil debate, and the free exchange of ideas, this is Intersections with Bree Dial and Joey Mignot. And now your hosts, Bree and Joey. Is that how Thanks. you say your That's name great. properly? Is it Dial? It's Dale, but um, okay, he, he's got a, I told he's you, got a Scottish. <laughs> I told you, Joe. He I was, was like, so I've concerned. I've been saying her name wrong for two years. And I was like, I bet it's just his accent. <laughs> it's his accent. It's his Scottish accent. That's funny. Well, praise <laughs> God. All right. And I'm I started I started asking. I, I started saying, he's like, stop making fun of me. Um, so I was like, no, I'm not making fun of you. Um, so uh, just kind of, a, you know, Adrian, to just break it down, uh, we're going to focus on today. You know, of course, the Pope's historic trip to uh, Iraq, and then also that an American cardinal has been added to the Council of Bishops. Mm-hmm. Who he is, why it matters, what some of his background is, um, just kind of an oversight. And then uh, we're going to hit the financial report out of the Archdiocese of Washington, D.C., and why that's of concern coming from the pillar. And then um, we're but the real focus is going to be on on you know the pope's trip what he said um some of the reactions some of the reaction out of um, iraq and then um the second part will be uh, with jan benz and we'll we'll discuss a recent conference he gave um uh, you know sponsored by the acton institute on authority and why there's a cultural move to break down all levels of authority mm. you know wow, the pendulum is swinging i like that yeah. and then and then the last one we're going to talk, uh, we're going to bridge the gap there, and we're going to talk about the impact of the of the breakdown in authority. One particular example will be like the history and the reporting that led to Congress recently, you know, uh, recessing this week. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Well, have a great cool. show. I'll leave it to Thanks. you guys. And uh, John, is it John? Jan. 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 Okay, yes. he is German. already on, so I'll let him in right now. And we can have him uh, mute himself until you introduce okay. him. Great. <laughs> oh, and here's your new logo that I threw together. Or you're not logo, you're splash <laughs> screen. Thanks. So. That's great. Hey, Jan, are you there? 
he may just be muted. There he is. So we'll do the second, we'll do the second, um, uh, so we'll, we'll do 15 minutes. We're going to talk about the Pope in Iraq. And then I'm going to introduce you, um, after a break and you're going to come on. We're going to talk about your, your, your discussion that you had with the Acton Institute, why you did it, why you think it's important. I'm going to let you talk because I think that I might break in a little bit to ask, but that, you know, Joey listened to the entire thing. My, my, um, you still have. I haven't met Joey, but Joey listened to the entire thing on, and he said it was really solid. I mean, he was really intrigued, but he said the last 10 minutes when you started to talk about the Frankfurt School and how it integrated into current events, he said that was the thing that caught him. So that's where we really want to kind of hit the nugget on. No, of course. Um, I mean, the, the, the previous, the, the, the rest serves as preparation for for what I'm what I'm then saying to, to yeah, to, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. So, um, and then, uh, then I'll, you know, after 15 minutes, uh, we'll minutes. go to break and go. Okay. Good. Um, uh, meet Adrian too. This is our producer. Adrian's going to talk with me throughout, uh, since Joey's not going to be here today. Um, Adrian is going to count me in and he'll, you'll see that. So, but if you have, um, Adrian, if you have a question, you can ask, but I really do want, um, Jan to kind of take the mic and really talk about what, why this is so important. And we'll have a discussion. It's just like you and I talking on Skype. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Hi, Adrian. Okay. Howdy, howdy. We'll have you uh, just. We'll have you muted, and whenever Bree uh, introduces you, uh, unmute yourself, uh, and then okay. from there, I will pin you so everybody can see you and Bree side by side. Um, okay. And then that'll be about it. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so, Adrian, when are we doing this? We're starting now. Uh, we're starting in a minute and ten seconds. Okay. Thank you very much. Live from the Sun 